BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And that was a big part of my decision to walk away from the national team. Like for me to truly love all of me, I had to make a choice that didn't make sense to 99% of the world. But to me, it was the choice I had to make. Hey, everybody, and welcome to RealPod. I'm Victoria Garrick, former D1 athlete and mental health and body image advocate. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you awesome guests, weekly inspiration, and the realest conversations around everything and anything. Now let's get real. Hello, welcome back to Real Pod. Thanks for tuning in, whether it's the morning, the middle of the day, the evening. I hope that you're doing awesome. We have a very, very special guest for you today. Her name is Carly Lloyd. Not only has she accomplished many incredible feats as an Olympic medalist and a former seven year member of the USA Women's National Volleyball Team, but she's currently on one of the most difficult journeys one could face. And that is the journey inside ourself. At the ripe age of eight years old, Carly started lifting weights. She excelled as a child athlete and would soon become a standout volleyball player at the University of California, Berkeley. So shout out Pac-12 Conference. And then she pursued a professional career competing on the United States most competitive stages and the world's most competitive stages. She won a bronze medal in Rio and after that began training for a second quad in hopes of the 2020 Olympic Games. However, two years into that quad, Carly made the decision to walk away from the Olympic national team, from everything she'd worked for and from the hopes of getting another medal. You might be thinking, why? Well, today and for the first time, Carly is opening up intimately about this decision and the powerful realizations she's had along the way about herself, life, and purpose. Many of you have probably heard the term more than an athlete, and Carly is truly one of the most beautiful examples of that phrase. I can't wait for you all to hear from her today. Let's dive into this episode with Olympian Carly Lloyd. really excited to be here today and I'm glad to hear you're excited. I'm definitely most looking forward to talking to someone of your athletic caliber, but to talk about all of the things we don't necessarily see in an athlete. Mm -hmm. And in prepping for this, I was like, I could ask her, what is it like to play in the Olympics? What is it like Mm -hmm. to blah, blah, blah. But like that, I think what you can offer today and the value you can bring to athletes listening is so much greater because you've had so many different realizations on your journey Mm -hmm. that you're just starting to share. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And when did you start your blog? That was very recently. Yeah. I started that in early April. So like during quarantine, because it probably wouldn't have come about if it wasn't for quarantine actually, because I haven't had the time to like step back from the speed of volleyball and like see what else I could do or like wanted to do really. So yeah, it's been like just a few months and my commitment was every Tuesday. Like I was like, I'm just going to commit to like every Tuesday and see what happens. And it's funny how like, man, procrastination's a real thing. And like, I'll come to a, a Monday. I literally happen to say, come to a Monday and I'm like, I don't know what I want to share this week. And then what happens is I just write and I share literally whatever comes out of me that day. And it's, the coolest outlet for me during this period of time, honestly, it's been, it's been a savior. And I totally cool. relate to it rooted in this genuine share my feelings, share who I am. Then all of a sudden 
you're, you are opening that up to, okay, well, I've got to put it out consistently. Um, Mm -hmm. I've got to present it in a way that is consumable. Um, Mm -hmm. It's open for others to comment, like, and dislike. And I think similarly, you are sharing something very close to your heart, real feelings. It's not for um, building a brand or anything like that. It's just wanting to share your heart in hopes it helps someone else. But that's a very scary thing to do because most people never take their journal pages and put them online. So true. (laughs) Did you have some fear when you first started? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think that's what kept me from doing it for so long because the writing part has been, it's come easy for me for a really long time, but it's because it's such a safe space. I, I can do it all the time. And like, there's no limit to how much or what I'm writing about or like how deep I'm going with myself. Um, when I decided to start sharing it, I, I sat with it for a while. It wasn't like, okay, I'm going to do it. And it's just going to like, everything's going to be out there the first time. It took me probably like a month and a half to like, make my website live. And then it's a recommitment every week to like putting something out there. It's not like, like, Oh, I'm totally cool now. No worries. There's like layers to it. And one of the aspects on my blog is like putting my voice to my words. And I feel like when I decided to do that, it was because what I'm writing is truly how I'm feeling about things and it's vulnerability, like the layers, the deep layers of me. And when I put my voice to it, then you know that like, these are my words, but this is actually what I'm saying to myself or what I'm feeling or, and that becomes an extra layer of vulnerability. When we speak things, like we can think a lot of things, but like, as soon as we start saying it, that's like, okay, now you're putting your, your feelings to like words then to action because you're speaking it out loud. So there's fear all the time and I'm constantly facing it. And like, I get excited about it because it's the, it's the space for growth. And I feel like that's also happens as an athlete when we, when we fail or whatever, like that's fear. And then you learn from it and you put it out there. You try again. It happens every week over and over again all the time. You've seemed to have a lot of tremendous growth in just who you are as a person. And obviously we have those things as players, but it almost seems like from just consuming what you've put out into the world that the most of your growth kind of came after maybe like an athletic peak or mm-hmm. being an Olympian or an Olympic medal. One of the things you've written says, for a long time, my reason to play was I want to be an Olympian. Then it became, I want to be the best setter in the world. Then I want to be the best player I can possibly be. And then morphing into that final, I just want to be the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. going back to this version of Carly that wanted to be an Olympian what was she like what was she seeking goodness um I mean I guess that version of me was from when I was first starting to play so like the young fighter I was a fighter and like persevered through any kind of physical pain or injury or challenge like I faced it and I was like I I was just like a a fighter in the sense of like I physically have to do everything that I can and so like I started lifting weights when I was eight and like was crazy like my uncle was my coach and he showed me what hard work looked like and what lifting looked like and these things so the Olympian in me was like I need to work as hard as I can and do everything that's in my power to be able to achieve this goal at, at the same old. time, at eight years old, I was starting to lift. The, the dream of the Olympian was probably like 12, 13 when I started playing volleyball and started understanding that this was a possibility. But like the lifting part, I was, I was a track and field athlete. I watched the Olympics. I watched track. Like that's what I was watching when I was younger, thinking like, ooh, maybe I could do this one day. I don't know. But volleyball became a little bit, it started in middle school. That was my sport in middle school. And the the, that part of me that like, as I went through college and wanted this more and more, it was, I was seeking something outside of myself a lot. And I feel I was constantly seeking validation. And in that was like validation from my coach. Am I making a roster validation from, um, I don't know, interviews and things like that, because along that path to being the best, you, you are in contact with all kinds of different people that are do, or I shouldn't say different people 
all the best people are around you, like the best in your sport, the best in your position. And so there's a lot of comparison happening. So I was comparing myself to everything around me all the time too, which was exhausting and like, but also drove me because it was like that it was relentless. Like I'll do anything. What do I have to do? I'll, you know, like. It's yeah. hard not to get caught up in that outside validation as a college volleyball player, you played at Cal, I played at USC, mm-hmm. same conference, back the pack, baby. Um, but I know what it is like with those post-game interviews, with the hype before games. If it's like Cal versus USC, they're spotlighting one player. And you can't – and then there's all these websites talking about um, our trajectories and the mm-hmm. rankings. And it is really hard at that young age with so much going on to not get happy when someone says like, you're the best player on the team or mm-hmm. you're, you're the star or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I totally understand and can see how you, you get there and you don't really necessarily know. And so at the time, were you aware of what you were doing or now that you've been able to reflect and look back, you can talk about what you were seeking? I think I knew what I was seeking, like, but I didn't realize that it was, it was also hindering me a lot in the process of it. Like, um, I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, but when I look back on it, if I had understood that I needed to access the best version of myself to be the Olympian or like to be really connected to me and to what I'm capable of and like have confidence in myself and not seek the external validation, if I could understand that then I think my path would have looked differently. So does that make sense or am I? No, no, it makes it, sense. But what I actually, I just wrote this down because it made me think of, and I don't want to jump, I don't want to jump the gun because I do want to like slowly walk through this, but okay. um, it makes me think about how you did accomplish what you sought out to without being maybe that best version of yourself. So it's this mm-hmm. interesting juxtaposition of like some people can hit the top without doing that inner work and then other people need to do that inner work to even access that ability yeah i that is that's actually really interesting to think about because i think there are and it makes me think of like a multi-year olympian like what has and you probably have had these conversations with people like what what was the difference and how did you show up in that space the second time because the first time we do something great I mean, when I look back on it, I recommitted to doing another quad because I wanted to go about it in a different way. But because I had done so much internal work and like tried to find myself, that path no longer felt in alignment with me anymore. Even though I wanted the Olympics, again, I, it didn't feel right. And like, I wasn't in it in the, in the same, it wasn't just about the competition in the Olympics anymore. It was so, there was so much more about connection and these other things that that path didn't feel in alignment with me. And so it's interesting that that happened during a second process to go to another Olympics. When did you start having realizations that you were no longer in alignment with that path? Last summer in like in, and it wasn't, I guess it, this is a, this could get real tough, this conversation. I haven't, I haven't had this conversation with anyone yet. But it, was, it wasn't so much that I wasn't in alignment with the path of going to the Olympics. It was the path that I had to be on to get there with the specific program and coaches. And that was the tough part. And that's where I had to walk away because of the, I was so in tune with like what was right for me as a, as a human being. Like I have been through trauma and I've overcome all these things and I've pushed through being cut a billion times and like being told you're not good enough and all of that. And I was able to recommit and like say, no, I still want this. And this time around, questions being asked, different things being asked of me and the program was in a different place. So like me, for me to show up fully in that space, I wasn't showing up and honoring like my values and who I felt most connected to within myself. So I had to walk away from it, even though I think about the Olympics all the time. Wanting to go back is still in me, but I, I can't. I don't feel good doing it where I was. Well, there's two things that I think of when you say this. The first is as a volleyball player, as anyone who plays a team sport, you don't have the luxury of choosing when you practice, how you practice, what your philosophy is, what your mentality is. You have someone else who is, and you have a coach, you have a team around you. You have Mm -hmm. to depend on other people. 
So mm-hmm. there's a beauty and a curse in that. And totally. then the second thing is when there's an environment you need to function in to reach a goal, AKA this team, this culture that you need to be a part of to get to the Olympics, you're faced with kind of two choices. And like one is how can I swim in this environment instead of sink? How can I mold, use it as a challenge? Um, and I remember like my view in, in my own experience with a culture or a program that did not bring out the best version of myself. I just, the way I got through it was, okay, well, like, what a great challenge. How can I be super kind to everyone today who's not kind to me? And like, you know, you try to like find the shred of optimism, but then Mm. there's that human element of you need to know in your gut, okay, like I should not have to be actively trying to combat whatever this energy is I'm combating every single day. And so deciphering between when you need to bear it and gear up and be an athlete in that way, or when it's time to, to separate. And that's a really tough decision, especially someone like you who's dedicated their entire life to making it to this place. Mm-hmm. What was it like to grapple with these thoughts and realize what you were essentially going to give up? Yeah. As you're talking about this, like it brings me back to the first quad the first four years of going for an Olympics and how every time I got cut or I was told like, you're not making this roster, you're, you're not good enough yet type of thing. I was really committed to the grind of like, I understand that there's a lot of other really good people in this gym. So I'm going to keep showing up and keep trying. Like I'm, I was committed to the process of finding the best version of the volleyball player that I could be also believing in myself, like I can do this and this is a dream. And like, I'm not going to basically bottom line was I'm never going to walk away. You're going to have to cut me because I'm not, I can't walk away from this dream. Even though over and over three summers in a row, I was cut and told like, this isn't happening for you. The fourth summer was the summer that I had a the last, the tryout again. And it was like, okay, you have this two weeks to show us what you can do. And it's the summer of the Olympics. And I still haven't made a roster for with the starters yet with the, our main national team. It's like in that process, I believe so much in the athlete, like I can do this. I'll put in the work, I'll make it happen. And so recommitting to it was, it was easier than like my family and all the people around me were like, how do you keep doing it? Like the heck, like, aren't you tired? Like, just do something else, you know? And I was like, no way like this. I feel it. I, I need to be here. And okay. It paid off. A lot of people say, well, it worked like you, you went to the Olympics and you had this experience and it's true. I did go. It wasn't the way that I wanted it to be, but I did go and have this experience. I wanted a gold medal. I wanted to be starting. We got a bronze. I didn't start a match, but the experience, the fact that I was able to contribute to that team, be a part of those players. And that like, that was amazing. So when I recommitted to the second quad, I was like, there's kind of work that hasn't been finished yet. I, I feel like there's something more I can do. I want that dream of being the starter and winning the gold and having this, like, I want that to be my reality. And in that transition, I also started realizing like seeking external validation, like needing a coach to pick me for a roster like having that be a part of my happiness didn't work anymore. So I was like, constantly releasing this need and attachment to having goal like this external goal reached and I think in that process in those first couple summers I was way more in alignment with like how am I feeling like how am I connecting with my teammates are we bringing out the best in each other are we um are we being real like are we honest and are we expressing ourselves like are we I don't know are we having good conversations and tough conversations that are making us better and was doing that with myself a lot. And so in that second quad process, like those first two summers and what led to the third was like, it was hard that day that I said, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm walking away. There is no way you would have known that this was coming. Like coming into that summer, really? I was committed. Oh, I was committed to going for four more years in that, in that quad, but I was so disconnected. There was this space of like, all of me is not able to show up here anymore. I'm, I'm trying to go ahead. I was going to say, you've mentioned when you talk about not feeling connected, 
three summers in a row now, like just an environment that you're not in alignment with, to me, that sounds like very depressing and dark. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned experiencing that before. Was that this time or did, was there your mental health battle a different summer? So my mental, the, my mental health battle, the lowest point that I've ever gone through was the beginning of that first quad. And it stemmed from an injury. So I was injured, wasn't able to play and went into a really dark place. And we can totally dive into that. This, this new summer, like this experience was, I think I had done a lot of that inner work. So at this point I'm like, okay, I want to bring all of me to the table now. Like I'm not going to hide any of me anymore. This is all of me. But when all of me would show up and I wasn't being accepted or like, I guess, respected too, like, this is all of me. I'm not just this badass athlete anymore. Like I have emotions and I'm fragile and like, I feel these things and I went through this trauma, like this is all of me. And when I didn't feel like I could bring all of that and still be the best volleyball player I could be in this environment, that's when I was like, okay, I can't be here anymore. I can't do this. I can't just work hard and be an athlete. I have to be able to bring all of me because I've now loved and respected all of me. So like all of me is going to be here or all of me is leaving. That's kind of like, so it wasn't from a depressive place at all. It was like a very aware grounded space, but it took me so many years to get there. Like, and that, that was in 2012, 12, 13, 14, leading to the Olympics. Can you give me an example of what the I don't want to call her the old Carly because it sounds like, you know, that, that yeah. person didn't serve you, but can you give me an example of what first quad Carly would have done and what sh- full showing up fully Carly in this second quad did differently? Because you mentioned like, I was a different person. I wasn't just a badass athlete. I was fully showing up. I, I will, I would love an example of that. Cool. Ooh. Okay. I don't know if I can do a specific example of like laid out scenario for you, but I'll right. give you like, this is younger Carly, the Carly that denied a lot of herself and like always felt like she wasn't enough and was constantly battling negative self-talk and like so many things when she would go home, like it, she would sit in this puddle of like, okay, I didn't make this roster and that means that I'm not enough. And I, everyone is probably looking at me like feeling sorry for her, for me. Like I, I'm supposed to be here and I'm not. So like, I I had this feeling that like, there's the spotlight on me. And since I wasn't doing to be doing like making a roster or being the best still like in the world, or like not, I shouldn't say still, cause I wasn't like being the best in the world. Cause that's what my, that's what my brain told me. Like, you need to be this certain thing. You need to make these rosters. I would, I was really hard on myself, like very negative self-talk always like feeling I'm not enough. This isn't, I'm not worth this. I'm not worth these things that could happen. Like, but this Carly now, and in the last couple of years is I don't, it's a very, from a very different, like an empowered place of like, Hey, yeah, a lot of people may think that this should happen for me or like, that's the way it's supposed to go. But I just feel like I'm not doing this for anyone else anymore. And it doesn't matter what anyone else is going to say about the choices that I'm making, because I'm grounded in what feels real and right to me now. And like before it was all about other things like external factors. I had a similar realization of putting more weight on the internal versus the external and mine was it's okay to be misunderstood and so if someone doesn't know my heart or my intention or doesn't think I'm the person I know I am that before would have been how can I take you to lunch how can I be nice to you how can I support you on the court but now the new me's like I know who I am and it's okay for you to misunderstand that. I don't need you to know. Mm-hmm. And it's totally. such a freeing concept. And like when you said head on the pillow at night, it made me think of like going to bed at night thinking I know who I am as a person mm-hmm. and I don't need anyone else to validate that that is the truth. Mm-hmm. Totally. And with that, like one of the things that help has helped me through all a lot of stuff is just feeling truly allowing myself to be grateful for the difficult moments where like I've 
I've had a bad situation come up with a coach or a teammate where like things didn't go right. And I've totally been that, that player that like, I'll do anything. I'll take all the responsibility. What can I do? What do I need to do better? I can be better. And it's exhausting. But like, at the same time, I look back, I'm so grateful that I've gone through those moments because now I know that there's different choices we can make. Like as we get older to we've learned from it. We, like, we, we have to go through it to know that we can do it differently. You know, like we can't just be perfect and we, no one can be perfect. So I think that's really cool that you've had a realization like that. And I totally can identify. Well, my realization stemmed similarly from my past experiences and my past experience being very dark um, and experiencing a depression my sophomore year of school. And it helped me with two things. And one of them is that allowed me to kind of become enlightened and like ask these bigger, greater questions. I feel like I focused on how many likes and am I popular and do the guys think I'm pretty and like just very surface level 18 year old thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in going through like a really dark place in your life where you question everything, like, why are we alive? Like those really dark times, it's, it's lonely, but you're forced to see the world differently. And so in that, like, I don't regret it as well because it led me to where I am now, but on the other hand, and I think you've kind of mentioned this in various ways and I have my own way of explaining it. And it's basically because I've like fallen to the depths of my mental health mm -hmm. and then I've climbed back out, I've learned how to navigate similar triggers or similar instances where I might be tempted to fall back into that place. And I kind of imagine it as like a road and I might have a road. Uh, one day I might see a sign that's like negativity, negativity, whatever it is. And usually I would just blindly turn, but mm -hmm. now I'm like, oh, I see the sign. I can make a choice of like, do I want to proceed forward? And what do I need to do to keep walking straight? Mm -hmm. And like, those are the tools I've gained from that darkness. And I think everyone needs to have that to, mm -hmm. to wake up in some way. Yeah. You feel the same way? Totally. And I... I, I think, so I want to share this with you because my, uh, as you're talking about your road and like going down negativity, but like you have now, it's like you have tools to get, keep you on track, like to get you back to a space of like, I, I can do this differently. Like, I, I know that I'm, ca I'm capable of that and I don't want to go that way anymore. Like I want to choose a different route. And I think mine, like what's interesting about when my mental health was at its lowest is it, it happened during a time where I was injured. So I, I was an athlete for like basically as long as I can remember competing, doing all of this great stuff, using my body to its max. Like that's what I knew how to do the best was like push and push and push again. And when I was injured for the first time that with the first injury that kept me off of the court was the first time that I started having to sit with my thoughts and like, it was a scary place. I would, cause I could, I could, I could walk, but I could, I was walking in pain. I had stress fractures in both of my shins. So like doctors were telling me, if you play again, you're probably going to play in pain. Best choice is you should probably get bilateral like rods in your shins to make sure that they don't crack. And like, you can play again and going through all of this, like, what? like, are you kidding me? Right out of college. Like I'm trying to go for an Olympics and so it's crazy, like a lot of stuff and a lot of stress. But in that time, I'm sitting in a really scary place, like in my head. And so I start talking to one psychologist, which leads me to a psychiatrist, which then leads me to a counselor. And then I'm, I'm like on this path of like, what is, what am I doing? But in that, I started realizing that this, these depressive thoughts that I was dealing with, they had actually been there for a lot of my life, but I had used athletics like volleyball as my outlet. and when I didn't have that crutch, I was sitting in this scary, dark place. So now, and the crazy thing is like, so I'm just going to tell you this story because my, so my, my father, my dad passed away from suicide when I was four for so long. I didn't understand it. I, and I took the blame for it in my heart, never verbalized it to anyone in my family, but like, for whatever reason, it was me. I was so young and like, I must've done something wrong. And I like, why am I alive? And he's not, and all of these things. So like, along with my volleyball journey, I had this bilateral, like, 
I'm not worth any of this. Like, what am I? So it was, it was deep rooted in me. And so when I had my injury and started going to therapy, all of this came out. And so my injury was actually like a gift because if I hadn't started talking about it, then I don't know where I would have been. And what I've learned, like you were talking about your path of when you go down negativity, you now know, like, I'm going to choose to come back to this place or like go this route. For me, I have this conscious awareness every time I wake up, like I'm choosing life. Whereas like someone that is supposed to love and care for me chose not to be here and take his life from, from this world. I choose to live. And that's, we talk about like, why am I, why are we here? Why, like, why that's a huge component of everything. A lot of my decisions in the past seven years is this like understanding mental health at its lowest because that's what my family has experienced the the most difficult thing to understand and it's like it tore me up for so long and I can talk about it now because it's something we need to talk about you know but that's a huge component of mine is like I go down this dark place knowing where it could lead because I've, I've, I've seen it and I choose this path. And like, actually I'm going to choose me and this path, because if this isn't in alignment with like the best parts of me, then like, that's not for me anymore. And that's where I'm at now. Like that's where my website's coming from. That's where so many things come from. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. My heart's beating Mm -hmm. really fast because I can resonate with what you're, what you're talking about in and I wanted to ask, I want to ask you this question. Um, when you got to your low place and you talk about like never having understood maybe what happened with your dad, but now being in a place where you're thinking about it, did you feel like in being depressed in being down a part of you felt like compassion and that resentment maybe for him being gone? Like you were able to understand because when I was really in a dark place, um, I understood suicide and I've never, ever understood it. I just thought, how could someone not want to live? But in my, oh my gosh, look at this is reverse. It's like, I (laughs) usually, I, this is the guest, not me, but you're bringing this out to me. I got to a place where I was like, I fully understand why someone would take their life. And that to me was my scary, scary, scary thought of, I need major help. I need a major fix this. But it almost brings you like this place where you understand like, wow, someone unfortunately like really was in their own trenches and people like you and I navigate ourselves out, but some people don't. So do you Mm -hmm. feel like in what you went through, you kind of felt that understanding? A thousand percent. And I appreciate your vulnerability here too, because in that in that space, when I started to talk about it, when I started to verbalize like my confusion with it and all of that, like it took me a long time, but I did have a lot of resentment towards him. I was so confused and like so angry and it was affecting my life every day. But like, the thing is, I would say that I would tell someone like my dad's no longer here. And they're like, why? And I would say he committed suicide. And they're like, oh, well, you were so, they would brush it off. Like you're so young, like it didn't affect you. And so long, I would like bottle this up. Like they have people have no idea what they're saying. Like it's a very sensitive thing. And so when I started to go through my therapy for myself, I started to realize what that, I knew that space. I lived in that for a little bit. And to understand what suicidal thoughts feel like and why they come about and how hard life can feel sometimes and all of these things like there's so much space for compassion in there and that's all I have now for my dad which is like such a liberating feeling to live mm-hmm. with now and it's also a huge component of why I'm so aware that I consciously choose life because it is a choice there are, we have this crazy choice with our life. And there are some human beings that choose something different. And like, I every day wish I had time with him every day. I wish I could ask questions. I wish I could understand. But for a long time, it was, I thought I was, I was supposed to save him. Like that was my responsibility. So 
working through that, that like, we're not, we're not responsible for other human beings' lives, but we are responsible for our own and how we're showing up in the world, like what we are offering and what we're putting out there with our words, with our actions, with our intentions. So that space for compassion has only grown every year. It grows more like every year I understand more and it helps me in every aspect of my life on the court and off of it, which is like really, yeah. It's so powerful that you're sharing this because a lot of times when we think back on past trauma or something that's unbearable, and it sounds like for many, many years, you did not even let this be a conversation in your head. It was just, it's locked up forever and I'm, I don't want to address it. And then you were forced to. And I think um, a lot of people think that opening that box in their mind or mm-hmm. opening up those memories will be unbearable and they mm-hmm. won't be able to handle the emotions. And I think you're just a great example of someone who had that similar fear, but showed that it is as much as it is unbearable. Some of the things we experience in life, we are strong enough to handle the emotion if we let it rise. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of that is such a lightness Mm -hmm. that was worth going there. Mm -hmm. And I can think of people maybe listening to this thinking, I have my thing I'd never want to talk about ever. And it's so important to talk about those things. Mm -hmm. It is. And this is the first time I've shared it like this. So it's, I I feel there's a time for everything. Like in our lives, things unfold. And sometimes we wish for things to be earlier or for it to happen a certain way. But actually like there's an element of trust in like how life unfolds, I think. But like this happening now, I think it's, it's a part of my healing. It's a part of my growth and my processing, you know, mm-hmm. and the fact that we can share it together and like, you can maybe be on the other side of the call for a minute, you know, like, that's cool. That's like, this is what it's about. It's about showing fully what, not just the easy, great, beautiful things, but like, maybe we're, they're easy, great and beautiful now because we've gone through this like really tough stuff and faced it when and not everyone chooses to do that. It's, it is a choice. It's, it's, a, it's a hard choice. And on the other side of it, we've mentioned is like that lightness, that lifting feeling. And a big narrative you have is being rooted in love and backing mm-hmm. your decisions and your actions in love. Mm-hmm. So what does love mean to you? And how do you know when you're making a decision rooted in that emotion? Um, I think love, the more I experience it the more I understand that love is an energy and a feeling of a lot of goodness like I don't I obviously it's really hard to like come up with words that can like describe what love is because everyone feels it in their own way but you can't say oh you don't feel love like like that's not love like everyone feels it differently so for me like I feel love a lot in my heart and like I I feel energy all the time like crazy amounts of it and I So I want obviously to feel as much positive, warm, like expanding um, energy as I can in these feelings. So like love for me is, it's, it's the, like the goodness in life. It's like what brings a smile to my face. It's what makes me feel grounded and connected and centered and all these things. And then what was the second part of your question? How do you know when your decision is rooted in love? How do I know? I, it's, it's great. Cause I, sometimes I'll say like, I literally will sit with something. I'll say, if I were to choose love right now, which way would I go? And I just know, because I'm like, oh my gosh, my heart is literally walking that way. And like, for me, it is a lot in my heart space. Like I, and it's, and that was a big part of my decision to walk away from the national team. Like for me to truly love all of me, I had to make a choice that didn't make sense to 99% of the world. But to me, it was the choice I had to make. So yeah, that's. Love is a saving emotion. It's the one that you can't explain. And I definitely appreciate and respect you just acknowledging that and maybe not fighting. It's a hard question, you know, to define Mm -hmm. love, but thinking about our capacity as human beings to feel and how strongly those emotions are mm-hmm. is what keeps me hopeful for like a higher spiritual energy or a spiritual mm-hmm. connection because I just don't think the ability to love and feel pain 
is something that I, I don't get how it could be construct the same way. Like we can look at the makeup of, um, a flower, you know, like there's, there's, there's always a special charismatic energy and we see it the most in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was like the unexplainable thing that we know so well that keeps me hopeful about life and choosing life. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a cool, like, I think it's interesting that the one thing that we seek and want the most in life, like we want love, like we want someone to love us. We want to love something. We want to see love. We love, like love is love, you know, but it's the hardest thing to put words to. You can only feel it. Like it's this, and a lot of times we hide from it, which is crazy. Like I, I'm right there with you. I'm thinking of people I love right now. And I feel like I just cry because like thinking about love like this, I'm like, I got to call my parents after this and my best friend. Um, you just said, it's the one thing we want to feel, but we don't always let ourselves. And I think that also ties into mental health and just this pressure from society. And like you've mentioned this pressure from others to go on a path or depict a version of yourself that they want. And it's crazy how much our society is built on shaping and telling you how you should feel. Mm-hmm. And we're not in, a, in an environment where we're just welcomed to feel what we want to feel. And this is such a terrible example for how amazing our conversation is. I'm cheapening it and bringing it up like 10 times, but on Love Island, <laughs> have you ever watched that show? I haven't watched it, but I've heard. But I've heard every something. time a girl cries and starts to cry, the friend or someone's like, stop crying. Like, don't get upset. Like, we've got this. And I'm like, this person's about trying to like feel something here. And if someone came to me crying, I would say, let it out. Mm -hmm. I'm shutting the door. Like I have all the time right now for you to feel your emotions. And so often we feel like we're more powerful or we're braver if we can bottle it up and shove it down. And I think it takes 10 times more strength to let it, just let yourself feel. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This is like, and we are talking about this as two women sitting here, like in this society, but imagine the men also that face this like crying pain their weakness like it's weakness for you to feel that don't go there like if you say I don't feel like confident in my like what that's weak like you need to it's like but it's a you feel this way so like can I at least say it and like then we can work through it and find a different path but like that I think that space of like it, what I've come to see is like, for some reason, when we're young and we're in whatever setting we're in, if you, if you express, I don't know, some sort of something that's like positive about yourself, it's considered cocky or like you're crossing a line or something. And like you, it's hard when you're young. Cause like, I totally get, there is a line for sure. There's a line. Like you don't, you don't walk around and like do, you know, like I'm the best and this is what I do. And like, I'm, you don't, that's like, okay, that's different. But there's this space of like, this is who I am. I feel this way. I'm, you know, I'm a woman in this world. And like, I have a lot of feelings about this and to like allow that to come out when we're young and like nourish that as women and as men. And it's like, it doesn't, it's not natural for us. Instead, we have the media telling us like, these are masculine things. These are feminine things. This is what you're supposed to do. This is right and wrong for a masculine and a feminine and a And it's crazy because then I think it's hard for us to identify what we truly love. Because if you love, if I'm like, well, it's honestly has to do like, for example, my muscles. I've had muscles since I was eight because I started lifting weights when I was eight. But when I was nine and 10 in school and the boys were like mutant muscles coming, like totally making me feel like I'm totally foreign. Like I'm an alien here and I'm not supposed to have these. I was like, oh my gosh, okay, I, I... I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I should cover them up. Like you, what I thought I was loving because I'm getting stronger and I'm like getting better at my sport. And I'm, my family's like, look at, you can do this. And they're like, so loving of me. And then I go to school and it's like, you have muscles. You're a girl. You shouldn't have those. It's so confusing. You know, like we are constantly fronted by what's right and wrong for us. And like, what I think I should love about myself isn't what maybe you think I should love about myself, but it's hard to understand like how to navigate that in our world because 
like you're saying on the media and in certain ways it's depicted in a certain way it's telling us not to do it there's such a loud pressure and then there's that pressure to conform because none of the other girls look like you or all the cool kids do this and when you talked about this being harder for men like I think of the men in my life and the pain I know they've experienced and how hard that is. Like my boyfriend played football and his dreams did not come true. Just to think that it's very real, the stigma of mental health in general, but especially with men. And it's just sad to think about people not living authentic lives. Like it was just uh, gay pride. They had the parade. And I just, I think of and my, my little brother is gay. And like to think of people who don't feel like they can be who they want to be, don't feel like they can live authentic to themselves. It's difficult. And a question I wanted to ask you um, that I just thought of, because I, I hope we're similar in this way. If not, I'm going to be like, great, it's just me. <laughs> but obviously you're, you're very high level thinker, you're thought provoking, you're inquisitive. And I don't see you having surface level conversations of no meaning to just be have a social status or to just be somewhere but as a result there are only like few people who do actually try to tap into this part of being human and so i find it difficult for myself to to cultivate friendships and new mm-hmm. friendships because it's like if i asked a question about like have you ever done ego work they're like what are you talking about <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh I just had this conversation with my best friend, like a thousand percent. It's so, I don't even know the word. Like, it sounds very strange to say it's really hard to show up in conversation and to like feel really good about being there because what I want to talk about is like 10 layers deeper than where we're at. But if I ask it, they're going to be like, okay, can you just like be here with us? Like for a little bit, like, why do you have to go there? I'm like, yeah, like we don't want to talk. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so interesting. Like, I'm so curious why you don't want to go there. <laughs> I have a, yeah, you're like, let's talk about that. I have an example too, is like this thing I've been doing is trying not to judge other people because when you mm-hmm. judge or label them, you are not in a position where you could see their, their true being and what they're trying to show up as. And so I've been having these instances where like, I have talked to someone for 10 minutes and I've just judged them because I know exactly what kind of person they are. I'm like, Victoria, I'm like, be here to just receive their being. And I'm like, but yeah. the being I'm here to receive is like materialistic fake. And it's not even the version of them. I think people want me to receive. So I don't know what to do. I totally, oh, that's great. Like, and I think with that, there's I've just like, I don't even know if this makes sense, but like I do the same. And I feel like the answer there is like, maybe that person is, hasn't, they don't even know. They're not even tapped into like the fact that they can access a different part of themselves. Like they're just so here that like that, they don't even know that the, the second layer or the third or for sure not the 15th, because like I've dove down there with like only five people and like to get there, it takes a lot of time. You know, I think you only recognize in people what maybe you've recognizing yourself or like you've experienced before so like we're almost seeing in someone else like maybe where we were or where we've been and like then you have compassion because you're like to be in that space like I don't want to be in that space anymore or I don't want to but at the same time you have to be there to be able to go you know yeah well I'm glad you just dropped the word (laughs) compassion because my follow-up question was going to be like how do you handle those people when they wrong you and I have a situation Mm -hmm. where Someone who I know has all of their own insecurities, all of their own things that they're dealing with, um, has done things that are hurtful to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I try so hard to think it's just a reflection of them. It's just their projection of their own insecurities. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm hurt. Like I was excluded. Mm-hmm. Like you, you mm-hmm. made me feel this way. And as about, as much as I, I think I'm just trying to be proud of myself for recognizing I could react better, even though I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How are you in someone like, especially with yeah. teen culture? Like I'm sure as you were going through this, you would show up and the conversations are that there's always like cattiness amongst girls too. Like mm-hmm. how would you handle that when it was appointed a at you? Yeah, I think I don't know how I actually have done this over time, but somehow I've forged such 
strong connections with like very few people. And I'm so grounded in those that when other things come up that I don't feel good about, I'm, it's, I allow it to stay at a distance from me. Cause I think, for example, like I have two girls that I would say are my best, my best friends. Like, so if anything ever surfaced that like, I felt I would just go to them and say like, this is what I felt like. I don't know what to do with it. And if that happens with any other person, I guess, in the world, like I have this, there's enough space that like, I don't take it as my own. It's something that I, maybe I need to process or go through, but like, I'll just go to my best friend and say, Hey, this is how I'm feeling about that. How do I like, you know, they no longer, I don't let it sit with me. It doesn't affect me for too long because it's not worth it. It's not worth my, like, it's not worth the energy. And I feel like those few people that get us and that allow us to show up fully and like want us to show up fully and they really want the best for us. Like those gems are like the ones that you, like that's where you let your feelings sit. You know, like if they wrong you or something happens, like you go and you fix it. And like, if you're hurt, it needs to be fixed with that person. But like, if it's something else, there's just so much going on. Like we can't, we can't, it's not going to feel good all the time with everyone. And like, I truly believe in, like, I, I believe in small, really strong circles and like having bigger circles is great too. Like I like having my people, but there's like that foundation. And I think within that foundation, you can find all your, what you need. Like, and, and I don't know. Similar. Yes. And I'm right there with you. I can't believe cool. how many things I've, you've said, I'm like me too. I mean, I have two best cool. friends that are anything like, and, and it, the best part is like, especially one of them has been my best friend since first grade, shout out Aubrey. Mm -hmm. And she and I like have done, read the books together, like done the work. She's not even an athlete. And like, we're on the same wavelength. Oh, no. And I've just, we always talk about how, like, if one of us couldn't do that, I was like, what are you talking about? We would have like, our friendship would have ended. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that I struggled with, and I feel really glad to say I've worked through this, especially in quarantine was once again, I knew how I felt. I have these two relationships and I have like two to three outside of them that I think I could go there with. Um, mm. Yet society is telling me I need 10. I need yeah. a girl group. Mm -hmm. I need the people to call on Friday night for the bars. Like, and if I don't have those people, I don't have a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. And it's measuring the quantity over the quality. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, that really, really, really got me down until mm -hmm. this time of quarantine where there have been no pictures for me to see where I get FOMO or I get self-conscious about the numbers. There's mm -hmm. been nothing to not get invited to. Mm -hmm. And when I look at my own life, I'm like, my heart is full. I don't need, I don't have emptiness where I need other people to fill it. Like I'm with my career, the small friendships I have that are amazingly deep, mm -hmm. and my family. And just society and that stuff that used to be happening pre-quarantine made me think that I was empty in some way. Mm -hmm. So that to me has been like a huge game changer. That is so cool. Like that's, I feel like there's certain conversations I've had throughout this time where I'm like, if you wouldn't have had this realization, if it weren't for this time or you had to go home, like you had to, you couldn't go out quarantine this virus. Like it made you go internal and like figure things out. So I feel like you answered your own question and like how to, to process, like when someone, what do you do when someone outside of you are not okay with it? And like you go home and you go to yourself and like you fill yourself up first and then you grab your best friend and you grab Aubrey and you grab her, like whoever and you say Natalie. like this Woo. is what Natalie <laughs> this is what this is my this is me like these people get me and this is what's more important you know so right literally in your processing of like the time you've just answered your own question and that's so rad. And I love how you're making it a universal adversity. Like everyone is experiencing adversity in some way right now. And mm -hmm. a lot of people don't have a choice and mm -hmm. the situations are all different and the negative impact, the severity of it does range. Mm -hmm. um, but there is opportunity and there is a small silver lining in some way about how that can shape us. <sighs> Life, <Totally>. man. <laughs> You know what's, what else is cool? I know, like, I don't know if you have to go right away or whatever, but so I've dated girls. I've like went seven years of my like overseas life. Like I had two different girlfriends and 
when I called my family for the first time to say like, Hey, I, I'm like, so in love. And they're like, with who? And I told them, I was like, she's on my team. And I went through this thing and they're like, that's great. You know, like we love you. It's fine. So like, I went through that process and, and then from then it was like, okay, I'm telling my best friends. Cause like, what the heck, like, this is something new. What the heck am I supposed to say to them? You know, yeah. like I've been, I've been, had a boyfriend and like, I was going to marry him and have my life plan. And I was 22 and I was like, now I'm like, okay, this is my girlfriend and I don't know what's happening. And, but the interesting thing, um, the, I, the point of my story is for some reason, we always, as human beings, we need to label everything. Like we have to put a label on something. What is this? Like, what are you? What? And that was came up for me so often in those seven years. Like, well, what am I supposed to tell everyone? Like, are you a lesbian now? What am I supposed to say? Are you bisexual because you've dated guys before? Like, what are you, what do you call yourself? And I literally remember those years and I was like, and my, my answer was, you can say whatever you need to say to, fe- to feel comfortable in the conversation. But I'm just letting you know that none of those words make any sense to me because I don't know like where they came from. I don't get it. Like, I don't understand how you can identify someone as this word. So what I'm telling you is my heart and like my feeling and my body and everything about me is saying that I love her and I want to be with her. So whatever you have to do now to like make sense of it, I trust that you'll do whatever you need to do. And like, but I'm letting you know that for me, I don't have a word. I'm sorry. And they were like, what? Like, okay, I love that. So it, it's just interesting, right? How like we are so programmed to do things a certain way. Like you're supposed to do this and you're, if you do this, then you are this. And if you, but like, there's and, also, go ahead. Oh no, no, you go, you go, you go. No, I don't really know. I was just like going to keep going. <laughs> Like for the fifth time now, I'm going to say you are saying exactly what I have thought before because I, like I am dating my boyfriend, Max. I've never dated a girl. However, I would not put my life on the fact that I'm a thousand percent straight. Like, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I've always struggled with like, well, there's a label and like, I don't want people to say, "Mm, you've never dated a girl. So you're trying to be something you're not, or like, "Mm, you Mm -hmm. can't say that. And so I've just never really like, I mean, all my, like my best close friends know, like if you ask me my celebrity crush, like it's a girl. And so it's like, I totally understand this, like how you're feeling. Can I just be a human? Can I just like have a crush here and date Mm -hmm. this person? And Mm -hmm. why am I needing to explain it to you? And this goes back to this idea of being misunderstood. And I love how you're like, Mm -hmm. you can think whatever you think that makes Mm -hmm. you feel okay, but I'm just going to go live my life. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's like, it's just so, it's, it as you're talking and like sharing these realizations that you're having and it's so we all I don't know we're just like all going through things that like lead us to different things and for me it's we're all human beings and we all have like so much room for growth and different paths or whatever and like anyway this is this was cool this was the highlight of my week probably (laughs) the highlight of my quarantine (laughs) Wow, this was cool. Like, I don't even want to like do work the rest of the day. I just kind of want to sit in my thoughts. (laughs) And I wanted to say, I've like, so I found out about like who you are and what you do through Riley because Riley, I don't know if you know Riley McKibben. You guys said that, yeah, okay. He like told me that actually he was like, you should check like her Instagram out. She's doing a lot of stuff that like kind of aligns with what you're doing. And so that's why I followed you. I started like, seeing what you're doing and I was like this is so cool so whenever you reached out I was like this is really rad because I'm like such a fan of what you're doing and how authentic you're being on like a big platform and it's just really cool to see what you're doing so I wanted you to know that I'm really grateful to be here yeah that's crazy for me to hear like I know we all remember watching the Olympics but just like even watching USA Volleyball and like your signature bun and like you're such a badass and then like to see that like you even know who I am and then you also think I'm kind of a cool human like you're it's great like, it's what wild. you're doing is awesome yeah you're 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 awesome and I'm really excited for thanks. your blog and everything and just thanks for sharing you know your yeah. heart with us today on Real Pod. I mean this is the real this is the definition of the podcast so She is just incredible. To hear more from Carly Lloyd, please go to her Instagram. It is at Carly Lloyd 3, C-A-R-L-I-L-L-O-Y-D 3. And also in the link of her Instagram, 
is her blog. It's www.showupwithme.com. It's absolutely amazing, and you can find more about Carly's journey, her epiphanies. She has a weekly blog that she uploads to that we talked about on the podcast, and it's just truly incredible and such a raw, real piece of writing that you can read every single week. So follow her Instagram at CarlyLloyd3, and also go to her blog, showupwithme.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Real Pod. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to rate and review. That really means a lot and helps me in the podcast world. And also subscribe. Subscribe to Real Pod so that every Wednesday morning you get it downloaded and ready to go and you can never miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening. Also, if you want to text me, you can join my community number and receive my weekly wisdom. No promises if it's wise. Sometimes it's just like I'm eating a burrito. What's up? But you can text me at one 214 0917 Thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and I will see you next week.